0: Welcome to God's Word During Exile. We are back after a week of being off. Thank you for your patience. We're happy to be back. We're happy to have Mike back, hopefully. Um, How are you feeling, Mike?
1: Oh, much better. Much better than last time we were supposed to be
0: it's It must be a long two weeks, especially with the Super Bowl coming up and your
1: team not being in it. You know what? That's all right. It was one of the, that Chiefs-Bills game was one of the craziest games I've ever watched in my life. So I'll take it. It was a good run for the Bills. I'm disappointed, but I'll still take it. It's nice to see them win a little bit. Nice.
0: Great. Well, we're happy to have you guys here. Don't forget, you want to interact with us, you can comment down below or uh, you can send us an email, but I forget what the email address is, so you'll have to make it up um and hopefully you'll be able to figure it out but uh this is mike cussie this is matt nelson this is ben baker and we're happy to be here studying the book of revelation we're in revelation chapter 20 um but i think today we're gonna finish it
1: high hopes my friend high hopes
0: you want to open us a prayer mike
1: yeah absolutely let's pray oh father god thank you so much for today Lord, thank you for another day of life. Every day that you give us is a gift that we don't deserve. Um, Lord, help us to see all the, all the good gifts that you give and to give you thanks for them. Um, Lord, now as we're about to study your word, looking into Revelation chapter 20, uh, the judgment of Satan, and some other p- bits of this uh, chunk of scripture, I pray that you would just use your word um, to strengthen our faith, Lord. Lord, show us our sinfulness and need for a savior and point us once again to Christ. Um, And by your word, equip us for your service for this, your holy name. Amen. All right, Matt, will you read for us? I think we're going to read all of chapter 20 because Mike said we're going to get all the way through it today. So we
2: need the whole thing. (laughs) All right. So I'm reading from the English Standard Version, Revelation chapter 20. And this is the word of the Lord. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil, the dragon or the devil and Satan, excuse me, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Here ends our reading.
0: Thanks be to God.
2: All right.
1: I need to confess uh, to our, our listeners because I already did it to you guys. I haven't actually gone back and watched the video from when Jason was on and I was sick, or listened to the podcast. So uh, if I ask some questions or try to push us in a direction that is something you covered last week, just you know, tell me off. Tell me to just stop it. We'll do something else. So we covered verse four last week.
0: Uh, do you want do you want absolution for that, or was that just?
1: I mean, you talked about I'm not going to give it to you I'm asking you if that's <laughs> what you want I know I know you talked about the keys last week and so you can bind or loose I guess it's up to you I you forgive are. you Mike Oh thank you I appreciate yeah. that appreciate that <laughs> No thank you Mike <laughs> All right, so verse five. <laughs> uh, the rest of the dead did not come to life till the thousand years were ended. Um, so last week you talked about some other dead, but what is what is this rest of the dead that's being referred to here in, in verse five
2: of Revelation 20? It's a good question. I was just uh, talking with our bible study group this week about uh when when jesus died and the um the earth was shaken and the graves were opened and some came to life came to life so we definitely have some resurrections or some if you want to call them resuscitations because uh those people died again like lazarus he came out of the tomb right so there's some cases in the scriptures where we have um people rising from the dead, but what, what do you guys think this is referring to? Um,
3: basically, as I understand it, a, a parenthetical statement. Um, so John will speak of the universal resurrection of all people uh, later on um, in this in this chapter. Um, but here it's kind of a, a parenthetical statement. So he's saying that, you know, that those who had not worshiped the beast or its image or received its mark on their foreheads or their hands, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years, Parenthesis: the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. So we have, we have the resurrection of certain people, but not everyone. So, so the rest, those who did not come to life during the thousand years, the millennium, they will come to life at the end of that. Does is that, is that kind of make sense? So it's kind of a, it's a parentheses because yeah. he'll talk more about that uh, coming up <clears throat> later.
1: So then, it's it's referring to those that, that did receive the the mark of the beast and, and followed him,
3: right? Yes. Okay. Um, so so that kind of you know leaves us with the question of you know what what then is the nature of this resurrection, right? Because some posit that there are two physical bodily resurrections, uh, one prior to the millennium, the other at the end. Um, But scripture doesn't doesn't teach us anywhere that we should expect two physical bodily resurrections. Um, We are given one bodily resurrection to look forward to. And, and everywhere in scripture that speaks about, you know, this general resurrection, there's no separation between the resurrection of the righteous and the resurrection of the wicked. They're all raised together. Um, And even, you know, when we get sense, maybe the, um, the dead in Christ rise, you know, first, but it's not like, oh, then we have this interlude of some thousand years and then the rest. Um, we don't find it anywhere in Scripture. It's like trying to go back to Daniel 9 and break apart the 69th and 70th week and insert this indefinite period of time. Uh, it just, this is not what the Scriptures teach us and give us. And so so we asked the question who was it that were raised to life then in this first resurrection? It was all those who had not worshipped the beast in his image, right? right? So, you know, in a different, again, a typical kind of premillennial approach to this, that would see the millennium in the in the future and as you know, literally a thousand years on this earth. For them, the the first resurrection again um, happens at the beginning of the millennium, right? About a
2: physical resurrection.
3: Yeah. So So, we're kind of left with the conundrum then. Like, so only some Christians rise first or do all Christians rise first? Because if you're talking about that
2: physical resurrection of the body, right, we have uh, this statement in Thessalonians, am, am I correct with that, that the dead in Christ will rise first, mm-hmm. and they, we will be gathered to meet Christ in the air, you know, and this would be, mm-hmm. but we're understanding that to be the second resurrection,
3: right? Yeah. Yeah, because you're just kind of faced with the question, of what about those who are alive? at the coming of Christ, because again, later, John will tell us that those who participate in the second resurrection, or in the first resurrection, over them, the second death has no power, right? So, so what happens to those who are alive at the coming of Christ, if this is to be understood as, you know, a future millennium, Jesus returns, the dead in Christ are raised. What happens to those Christians who are alive at his coming? Because they're not undergoing a physical resurrection. Does that therefore mean that they are in danger of the second death? Because they are not able to participate in the first resurrection because they haven't died yet? Like, does, that, does that see how this, this becomes a really tortured approach? And it leaves a lot of questions That just simply doesn't make any sense. Um, And why would only a portion of Christians, those specifically who have physically died. As witnesses to the gospel, why would they be given a, a guarantee Why would it be said of them that the second death has no power over them, but other Christians don't have that same promise just because they didn't physically die for the faith. Like, does this, it doesn't really make much sense because now we have different classes of Christians. Now we have different promises given to different Christians and, and how is it that, that I would get that promise that the second death, which John will tell us specifically is eternal death in hell do I have to go and make myself a a martyr and die for the faith in order for me to have that promise? And, and that before Jesus comes back before the, before the millennium starts, how in the world am I supposed to figure that out? Hmm. So, so should I, should we all just go make sure that we're in situations where we'll die for the faith so that we have the promise that the second death can't touch us? I mean, like, does this make any sense whatsoever in in what scripture gives us does this make any sense how in the world would this ever be any kind of comfort to those you know to christians Hmm. because how do you know that you're part of that select group that gets to physically rise from the dead when jesus comes back to set up his millennial kingdom and they get a promise that everyone else doesn't get that uh, is I got this
0: invite in the mail with the RSVP. You didn't get that. Now.
2: Yeah, <laughs> no, I got right. not so <laughs> well. Yeah. We're not a part of the tribe of Natali. So yeah.
0: I I got one because my tribe is part of that, you know? So we're yeah. still accepting um recruits <laughs> if you would like. You can email us at God's Word During Exile uh, at gmail.com.
1: Are they are they called 100%. pledges? Do they go through hazing first? Oh, hundred percent.
0: We are paddling and everything.
2: <laughs> this would be
0: great.
3: So, so,
2: oh yeah, I guess what we're we're talking about here is that some people have posited. Then to recap a little bit, if you're not following that, that this is a future physical resurrection of only some of the believers and those who were um what beheaded um and so man that's a pretty small number of people right because how many people would that fit john the baptist and you other, anyone yeah. other john the <laughs> you <know, I> mean, baptist <laughs> you know uh so And there's some difficulties with the whole thing about uh, what the actual definition of first and second resurrection and first and second death actually is. And when we're consistent with the rest of scripture about what those resurrections uh, and deaths would be referring to, we would recognize that the first death is a spiritual death. The first resurrection is a spiritual resurrection Because Adam and Eve didn't die immediately physically, but they were spiritually dead, right? And so what we need is a spiritual resurrection, and that's what believers have. So what we're saying is based on the other fact that we believe that the millennial reign of Christ is not a future physical reigning on earth, but a a current reigning after his death and resurrection in the church and in the gospel uh, right now, Um having defanged the devil. And now all of us who believe in Christ are spiritually raised. We are born again. We are given new life. Um, and so then that's, that's what makes the, the difference, right? That, that's what's uh, differentiating who is being referred to here. But we recognize then that even though not everybody in the, on the earth, even throughout the entire millennium or church age, as we understand it, not everyone will be resurrected spiritually because many will remain in their sin and spiritual deadness, Uh, that everyone in the end will be raised up for judgment and then sent to a physical location, either with the Lord for eternity and blessedness or in the lake of fire. And so we're trying to make these differentiations. And I think that that view although not everybody agrees with it, is much more simple and has no contradictions with other scriptures. I, I And I find it so comforting, which is exactly Ben's point that the other view not only leaves tons of questions and uncertainty, but it's actually kind of alarming. Like, how is God picking? Is he is this some sort of crude kickball game again, kind of like some people's view of election that that God just picks certain people and not others to be a part of this? I don't I don't think that's how God works.
3: Yeah. And so uh, and if we just continue to look at, you know, uh, verse verse six as well. Like So at the end of verse five, you know, when when John says this is the first a resurrection again remember that that first statement or the sorry yeah the that the rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years ended that's a, it's a parenthetical statement so when john says this is the first resurrection he's talking about those who came to life and re- and reigned with christ in the millennium right because then he says in verse six again blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. So again, if if this is speaking of a future physical resurrection of certain Christians, then we have a, a again, we you know we have that issue of then it's only certain Christians that have the promise that the second death has no power over them. But then also we only have a portion of Christians who are priests of God and of Christ. And and so that makes zero sense because scripture teaches us especially you know like saint peter he speaks of the church in the same way that that god spoke of israel under the old covenant that that we are a kingdom of priests right and there's no differentiation yeah there's no differentiation between christians on that Mm -hmm. so how is it that How does it work then if St. Peter says of all Christians that we are priests of God and of Christ? And yet, then somehow here in Revelation, there's a only some are priests of God and of Christ. And if St. Paul can tell us that when we are brought to faith and converted, that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places, which is the language of reigning with Christ. But then here in Revelation, only some reign
2: with christ and it doesn't can i I stop you for a second i mean this whole idea of the kingdom of priests too the purpose of that is Hmm. to be people that intercede for people between god and man right to be uh, ministers and to to lead people to forgiveness and to reconciliation with god and if this is a future physical millennial reign the idea of that is is merely like crude dominance, it seems to me, over, over these unbelievers. It's not evangelism. It's not trying to save people during that time period. But when we understand that this is happening in a spiritual way now in, in, the, in the church age, we're understanding that, that the church acting as priests is for the benefit of, of the people of this world, that they could actually be brought to forgiveness through the sacrifice of the Lamb of God and be saved from the second death. And there's a, an extremely important mission and evangelical kind of a, 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 um, emphasis here that, that God wants to, us to share the good news as his priests in, in this world and be ministering to those around us. And, and I don't, I don't see that being the emphasis for those who talk about a future physical, um, millennial reign. Am I wrong about that? That that's what they're arguing for?
3: I don't think so. I don't think so either. Um, so, so yeah, so then, uh, so then we think at you, okay, you know, what about this language of, of resurrection? How does that fit with, you know? those who are uh, brought to faith, but we remember that, um, Romans chapter six. Yes. That we were buried with Christ in baptism, raised to new life. Um, is that also in Ephesians that St. Paul uses that language? Well, there's cue? the, you were dead and God your trespasses and sins
2: in which you yeah, God once made walked you Ephesians
3: two. Yeah
2: um but god made you alive
3: yep yeah and so you have so you have yeah i'll hear but god being rich in mercy because of the great love with, with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with christ so you have resurrection language by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in christ jesus so you have both in this text resurrection language and reigning language with christ and so it is perfectly consistent then to understand that this first resurrection as a spiritual resurrection as being once you were spiritually dead now you are spiritually alive and that makes perfect sense too that the second death has no power because even though we physically die right we will be raised bodily to life and that's like john 11 jesus
2: conversation about even he who believes in me, even though he dies, he will live. Right. And he who right. believes in me will never die. And, and so because you're alive and and that second death cannot touch you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think
1: you guys have covered this concept really, really well. The only thought I had to add was just some internal continuity from the book of Revelation. In in John, speaking about us as believers, as the priests of God, it's it's our reality already. Uh, If we go back to Revelation 1, verse 6, well, we'll start in 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So within the book of Revelation, God already, or I suppose God as well, but John views us as, as believers as being the priests of God and Christ. Um, and so we've got kind of connection. He's, he's, he's making the point that you guys, though, though you haven't died physically and aren't, you know, with Christ in the same way as those who have, you, you are these priests, you, you are reigning. We're talking about believers and not about something that's way off in the future and
2: different. That's awesome. So And so if they were already the priests back then, yeah, that's in the past, right? Not, not the future. And I think we could then apply that to the current church too, because this message is one that was sent out to the other churches in the area, to the believers at that time. But, uh, but it's also been left for us, for our blessing, as it also talks about in chapter one, that, that those who would read it would be blessed by it. And that's the continual promise we've been holding on to throughout Revelation is that everything in this book is actually a blessing for us now, all all people who would read this, not just a few people in the future. And so, um, yeah, I think that that's a great encouragement.
3: Yeah. And so, again, just to to drive home that point, then um, if the believers in John's day, they're already declared to be priests of God, right? And here he tells us that in the millennium there will be priests of God. Therefore, the millennium cannot be some thing that starts in the future, but had to be a present reality back when John was writing. And it continues to be that present reality all the way through. And so Again, this is (laughs) punching (laughs) holes. Punching holes in
0: theology like it's Swiss cheese. Way to go back. Why would you have to punch? I think that was a super
2: fluty comment there. It was super (laughs) fluty. I mean, Swiss
1: cheese already has holes. Why are we punching more holes? Bad for the cheese as it is.
2: Uh, (laughs) no, no, no. no, no.
0: Like it's Swiss cheese. We're not punching holes in Swiss cheese. I'm set, I said Ben is punching holes in that theology like it's Swiss
1: cheese, guy. Yeah, but you don't punch holes in Swiss cheese. It'd <laughs> be like Ben is punching holes in that theology like as if he took a chopstick and punched holes in cheddar cheese to make it look like Swiss cheese.
2: Uh, your analogies are the best. I love it. <laughs> Keep them coming. Keep them coming. <laughs>
0: How is that even possible? What just happened right there? I, I don't, don't know. know, but I love he's it. Punching <laughs> holes in it like it's Swiss cheese. You don't actually punch literal holes in Swiss cheese, Mike. I know
1: that, but the I'm theology
0: looks like Swiss cheese because uh, he's punching holes.
1: Punching oh, holes that. in theology, so now it looks like Swiss cheese. That would have made sense.
2: <laughs> wow,
0: digging it. It's
2: great. <laughs> <very> hard. oh <laughs> man
0: That's, are, are, are we almost done with chapter 20
1: yeah no we're right in the middle uh, All right. <laughs> right, so let's let's pick up verse seven in in my esv bible this section seven through ten is uh is headed by saying the defeat of satan um but it it starts off with a verse that is i don't know for for me at least for a long time it's been really confusing um, so I'll ask the question that I constantly ask myself and I'm asked by others about this and see if you guys have a good answer. All right. So verse seven, when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out, deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth. Why? Why does Satan get let loose and allowed to have free reign to go and deceive and do whatever he wants? Why, why is this a thing? Stuck in
0: the middle of Revelation oh. chapter twenty, like Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, because <laughs> you know he's the bookends. Yeah, and we're in the middle. Yeah, all right, good. Just making sure we got it. I got,
1: I got nothing for that. Sweet. It
2: appears yeah. that yeah. your that answers are, are as
1: good as mine, huh?
2: Well, I think that's we're not really really
3: god doesn't tell us why Mm -hmm. so you know and it it has to do with with his will and purpose and so it's for some reason but
0: and ultimately doesn't doesn't it matter like how it how it ends rather than what's going on like the ending is what's most important Mm -hmm. like sure he gets released but like doesn't
1: doesn't matter. That's, that's the place I keep coming back to as well, because we, we hear about this, it's what the sixth seal that gets opened. Um, we hear about it in the so fifth seal sixth seal I don't know I somebody will have to fact check me. And then also in the it's sixth trumpet, I guess we see these pictures of Armageddon of the last battle of the defeat of Satan. Um, and I don't know. I grew up believing that we had all of this information about Satan's time when he was free and how he was going to deceive and what this battle would look like. But you put all these passages together, it's like 12 verses total. We have so little. Satan gets released. He does everything he can. And then it's just, it's just done. God takes care of him, you know? And so that's what I keep coming back to is, is, is the end here. Like he might get released. He might be allowed to deceive, He might be able to try whatever he wants, but it's to no avail, right?
2: So, as I ponder this a little bit, I don't mean to say anything that is too conclusive or like certain about it, but as I run it through my mind a little bit, I it seems it seems uh counterintuitive or whatever that God would do this, but. Isn't that often the case that God does things that are like way beyond us and surprising. And, and this sort of reminds me of, uh, I think, is it Romans one where people are so insistent, stubbornly insistent on worshiping idols and and all these other things that God turns them over to their own sin as a judgment. And I mean, we see in the scriptures, God actually hardening hearts and, and actually allowing people to, uh, go more into sin as a judgment for sin and stubbornness of heart. And that seems counterintuitive. And I don't know, maybe that's a similar thing to this, where at the end, you know, after all these people have so stubbornly for so long, um, insisted on on sinning and, and embracing idolatry, worshiping false gods, even themselves, um, that God would then, as kind of a final judgment, allow the devil to <clears throat> in, inflict, uh, you know, suffering and deception on them uh, as a part of the judgment. And so he's almost maybe allowing the devil to be used as his tool. Yeah. Um, I don't know, with the plagues in Egypt and stuff, I mean, it certainly got, you know, much worse at the end. And uh, and when we see God, you know, um, he'll discipline, discipline with increasing amounts, and eventually he removes his gracious protection sometimes to allow uh, evil to increase as a part of judgment. But my other thought on this is just maybe more kind of where you are going, Mike, I don't know with this is now preparing for the big showdown. And I kind of thought, man, he's going to let the devil try his best and he's just going to thrash him. <laughs> yeah. Just, I don't know, Matt, I really like, yeah, wait, hold
0: on. Is, is it, is a good analogy for this? And like you guys can just smack me down like you did with the Swiss <laughs> cheese thing. So I'm not really upset about it, but like, you know how a cat like sometimes plays with a mouse and you know, like <laughs> yeah. at the end, the cat's just going to eat the mouse. I mean is that similar to that or does that not work in this instance
2: <laughs> maybe that's kind of that that second thought I was having almost yeah like, it's
0: like oh I'm fully in control but let's back you around a little bit yeah. and then by the end I'm just gonna eat you anyway
2: yeah give me your best
3: shot <laughs> no. Matt, yeah Matt. I can't do that with a with a chipmunk you know and it was just carrying it around and then it would just kind of drop set it, it down it and the chipmunk would be like oh I could go oh got caught again So set it down and, oh, oh there got caught again <laughs> just just tormenting
1: the <laughs> character so, Matt, I really love your first thought, though. I've never thought about it in that way. Um, and, and as we look at the plagues, right, Pharaoh hardens his heart, hardens his heart, hardens his heart until God finally hardens Pharaoh's heart. And I do think we kind of have that parallel here, because what do we hear after the trumpets, right, in, in chapter, what is that, eight, nine, somewhere in there? Um, you, you see all these terrible things happen and God pouring out his judgment. And yet through it all, the people refuse to repent of their sins you know, they continue to harden their heart. And so I think, I don't know how far we can draw that parallel. Um, but, but there's definitely some, some more connection there with, with the plagues in Egypt and and even the passage in Romans that you mentioned. So, um, I I like that thought process. I hadn't heard it processed through that way. It was was good until Ben shuts us down and says it's heresy.
3: No, I was going to say, um, we also want to resist the temptation of trying to be able to identify when this happens. Um, and so, and this is, again, just kind of goes back to, you know, our, the principle that Jesus himself gives us that we don't know uh, when it is that Christ will return and he can return at any time. And so if we try to put, <clears throat> if we try to say, Oh, you know, now is the time, or or no, it can't be yet because it's not bad enough that Satan is released. then we we start getting into you know, ideas that you know, Christ cannot return at any time. and And it's the same kind of danger with um, trying to posit a a specific single antichrist figure or, you know, a period of tribulation that's different from the present. We, we can say, you know, that when Christ returns, Satan was released whenever, whenever, however long before that, that God chose, like, but we don't, but we don't know, uh, when Mm -hmm. this will happen because we don't know when the thousand years ends. Right. And so, um, yeah, so we don't, we don't want to try to put this into a Timeline with you know dates and times or yeah.
2: you know go ahead Matt oh I was just gonna say we might not be able to say when but we could at least say a little bit about what because it says that he's released to deceive the nations so I think one thing that would be important why this is shared for us is that we should be prepared for deception and so really you test things with the scriptures and be. Be ready for the devil to try to trick you um, into believing lies and to not trusting in Christ. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I, what I was going to say is I, I think that <clears throat> we can't identify the time, right? Obviously. But I think as every generation looks at the world, um, and maybe it's this, this is more for us now just because we have so much more information and connection to the world, like the world looks really deceived at this point. Um, not to say that now is the time when Satan has been released, but it's, it's that call, the nations are deceived. What, what should we do with this? Repent and believe again, right? That, that call to repentance once, once again, that is just throughout the book of Revelation. Um, so yeah, not, not important to find the exact time, but things don't look great. (laughs) And they never have, let's be honest, right? They never have. It's always been a wicked, sinful world. So we should repent.
0: I mean like uh the first uh first few days of creation they were pretty good.
1: Yeah, they were excellent. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Wasn't there for that?
2: Yeah. Well what did what did uh Pastor Jason Goodham say? Uh he kind of wonders if they made it even through a whole 24 hours after they were created before they sinned, though. <laughs> you know. Uh but yeah. Yeah, who knows? We we're not sure, but uh there's definitely that was the before they sinned was the only time that uh that it wasn't like that they they only lasted six hours six minutes and six seconds
3: (laughs) really heard it here everybody
1: (laughs) really
0: guy the heresy is
3: flowing ladies and gentlemen it is it is interesting that we we tend to get so caught up with this kind of stuff and imagine all these things uh that we speculate would happen with the release of Satan and so on and so forth. And imagine this big, you know, global scale war, right? But it's just, it's just interesting, right? So Satan's released, comes out to deceive the nations, four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, he gathers them for battle. They're innumerable, right? They just, their number is huge. and They get all set. For battle they surround the camp of the saints in the beloved city and they never got any further right they didn't even touch the saints it's just god consumed them with fire from heaven kind of you know as he as he did the sacrifices on the altar that elijah set up right he just sent down fire from heaven he consumed that up right and just as you know, he had opened the earth and swallowed Cora and his followers for their rebellion, you know, fire comes down from heaven, boom, that count, you know, that innumerable army gone. And the devil is thrown into the lake of fire to be tormented forever and ever. And then we don't hear anything more about him. <laughs> yep. Right. And so it. it's like, you
2: finally, yeah. uh, Bit into that uh, chipmunk, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: right.
2: I guess that was the right illustration there, town. <laughs> but you know, a little point about which you, how you're drawing our attention to this, Ben, is that this isn't talking about just a physical situation of of actual nations physically gathering for war, because I think it would be quite a stretch to think that all of the believers on the entire globe would all be in one physical city and that everybody else was uh, outside of that city and that they would then gather all around that one city. You know what I'm saying? This is pointing us to a spiritual truth because God's people are dispersed all over the planet. um, And yet we are unified spiritually. And uh, and so these forces are, are, definitely on earth and and such the devil's at work in this world, but uh, this is a spiritual opposition to the church. And so if we were to go and say, well, this nation of, you know, Russia or China. Yeah, I'm glad you brought those up
1: because Gog and Magog are definitely China and Russia. I read it somewhere.
2: Yeah. So I mean, starting to go down this road and then try to say, well, which city? Well, that's Jerusalem. So then we gotta we gotta fight, we gotta fight the Palestinians and and we gotta kick everybody off the Temple Mount. We gotta fight for Jerusalem. And then we all gotta gather there. Let's send all the Jews back there and meet them in Jerusalem and get ready for war. Right. You see, we don't need to go down these paths because so the uh, Palestinian talking... Christians. Right. And exactly. And so, uh, and we've got Christians from Russia and from China and from all of these nations around the earth and in all of these places. And yet, uh, there's a sense then in, uh, maybe a spiritual warfare kind of way then that the church ends up getting surrounded by a bunch of people that are against her. Right. And, um, And it might even seem like all is lost uh, or that it's not even survivable for the church and yet totally protected. God wins in the end, despite all of these forces against Christ and his church. He wins. His church is safe.
1: Did anybody else, because I I feel like we kind of covered all the seven through 10. Did you guys have anything else you wanted to pull out on these verses?
3: Yeah. Um, So sometimes the idea that people have is that Satan is the king of hell. And they kind of have this idea that he, you know, that he rules as a, you know, diabolical ruler and tyrant over those who are, In hell and you see this come up like Matt and I saw this when a church that we were at did this drama called Heaven's Gates Hell's Flames, you know, and, and it's a series of scenes of Judgment Day and, you know, when when people would be found not to have their name in the book of life, then, you know, Satan comes out of hell, right? And he's just, you know, laughing wickedly all whole time. Like he's just going to have his way with them,
2: right? Maniacal laugh, maniacal laugh. Yeah, I was going to yeah. ask Matt, can you
0: uh, impersonate <clears> that maniacal laugh for us? Oh, man.
2: <laughs> it's still burned in my brain and I
3: just can't. It terrifies me.
2: <laughs> so do it then. <laughs> Face your fear.
3: Um, but we should notice here that hell is Satan's prison, right? He is judged, and he is not ruling hell. He is an inmate in prison, right? So, <clears throat> And you know, it's not the a devil, place where
2: you, all, all of you and your friends go to party with the devil where all the fun stuff happens. Right, right.
3: The devil that deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and false prophet were, and they will, will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Right. So, you know, and for those that try to, you know, get rid of the eternal nature of hell, you know, they have to contend with verses like this. And I mean, Jesus makes... Similar statements too about unquenchable fire and so on and so forth. Um, you know, and so this is an eternal judgment um, and the devil as well as the beast and the false prophet, you know, and all his angels, because Jesus tells us that hell was created for the devil and his angels. Um, and it is their place of prison, imprisonment and torment forever and ever. So this is not. You know, it's not a party for Satan. He's not the the watchdog ruler of hell. Um, it's not his domain. Hell is God's domain. Satan is prisoner and undergoes judgment and torment forever and ever. So, we just want to be clear about about that because there's some kind of wacky ideas about hell and Satan's relationship to that in the in the church. So.
2: And it will be separated from anything good. And God is the source of all good. So even the things that people abuse in life, you know, like, uh, like wine or something, they, they live for drunkenness and stuff. You're not going to be going there and enjoying these things from earth that you enjoyed, maybe even wrongly, right? You are going to be separated from all of this goodness that is on earth and, and it will be nothing but, but torture
3: and. I you think about the imagery, the lake of fire, right? How much fun are you going to have being cast into fire? You don't get to ski on that. It's not, a, <laughs> it's not a good skiing lake, that one. <laughs> yep.
2: okay. And I mean, you get burned for a moment and it hurts for a long time, but your body is going to be eternal and not not ever fading away, but the pain of that will never be relieved. Like the the, the story of rich man, the rich man and Lazarus. And this was, uh, I think, even before the final Lake of Fire destination, and he was already just desperate for one drop of water on his tongue to have some relief there. We w- wouldn't wish that on anyone. And the reason that this warning is here, once again, is... Because God doesn't want you to go there. God wants you in this moment while you still have a chance to cry out to him for mercy and to trust in Christ and be forgiven and and be snatched away from this.
1: That's a great point, Matt. I mean, hell, hell isn't going to be in existence later for the purpose of people. It's for Satan and the fallen angels. God doesn't want any of us there. It's unfortunate that many human beings will end up there because they've rejected Christ and they've re- rejected the goodness and mercy of God. Um, but hell was not created initially for us. Mm-hmm. All right. We've got a little bit of time and we've got one section here uh, left in Revelation chapter 20. We'll see if we can make Mike's wildest dreams come true and finish chapter 20 today. Uh, this is a section that usually gets referred to as the Great White Throne Judgment, at least that's <clears throat> how I hear it talked about most of the times, probably because it starts out with John seeing a great white throne and him who is seated upon it. Um, who's who's going to be doing the judging in the last day? Who's, who's sitting on that throne? Probably Jaws. <clears throat>
2: us The great white throne. No, 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 no. So I remembered so this, is, this time. You're not gonna <laughs> fool me again, Mike.
3: So this is important too because this ties into what we were just talking about with how you know Satan doesn't rule hell. In that same drama, Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames, when it came to judgment day and someone's name was found in the book of life. You know, then Jesus comes out of heaven and everything's all happy and great and all that. And then You know, and then that's set against, you know, those who are not whose names are not written in the book of life and the devil comes and carries them off to hell. Right. Um, You know, Jesus is the one who does all of the judging. He is the one who both pardons and casts into hell. He is uh, the judge of all the earth. And he tells us in the scriptures that God has given the judgment into the, the hands and authority of the son and. You know, and this also fits in that same passage that Jesus talks about hell being created for the devil and his angels. You know, Jesus tells us not to fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. And this would include Satan as well. The worst that he can do is kill the body. He cannot bring about the death of the soul. Um but Jesus tells us rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. And he's talking about God. He's talking about himself. We are to fear God because God can actually carry out that judgment. Um, he is the one with the authority to not only to pardon, but to cast into hell and Christ is the judge. Um, he is the one that carries out the righteous judgment. Um, and so yeah. We don't often like to think about Jesus as judge. We just like Jesus to be a Mr. Nice guy, you know, but he is the righteous God. He is righteous judge of all the earth. And so, you know, um, as St. Paul will say in Romans that God is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in, in Christ, right. Cause our sins are paid for by Christ. Um, but God is also just when it comes to those who reject, uh, the gospel. We reject that forgiveness that Christ has won for them, and he will carry out that sentence. That's why he tells us uh, that vengeance is his, right? That we are not to go seek our own vengeance because we don't have the kind of perfect justice that, that God has, that um, on that day, God will bring justice to all wrongdoing, right? And whether that whether it's covered by the blood of Christ for those who have been brought to faith or whether they unnecessarily and very foolishly bear their own sins because of their rejection of the forgiveness that Christ has won for them.
2: And just to point to a couple of places where we can show that that's uh, the case that Christ is the one that judges. That's also true at the end of revelation six, it's the lamb who is, Judging there. A very similar passage. Um, and this was even prophesied about in Daniel. Son of man would come on the clouds and he would be given the authority to judge. And, uh, you know, when Christ was I mean, raised from the dead, God um, gave him all this authority and he had ascended to the right hand of the father. The, the right hand of the father is that place of authority and power and the, uh, to execute judgment there. And, and so this is Jesus. And, and we remember that through his death and resurrection, he defeated our great enemies of sin, death, and the devil. And so we've seen that the devil here is tossed into the lake of fire. And then we see that, the, that um, at the end of chapter 20 here, that death and Hades, which is the Hades is the grave, Sheol in the Old Testament, this is grave, or in the word we use hell, is is forced to give up the dead. And then uh, death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. Um, So our three great enemies, sin, death, and the devil are now all in the lake of fire. Jesus has defeated them all. And they are all being destroyed there, um, cast away there. And, uh, and the, and yet, despite all of this, the people that are are saved from all of this are those whose names are written in the book of life. And uh, we think of that beautiful picture that when we believe and are baptized and are saved, that our name is written in that book of life. We're given God's name and, and called one of his children, and he puts our name in that book. And <clears throat> And for all of you who are listening today, too, you might wonder, is my name in that book. And you don't need to worry about that in the sense of that God maybe doesn't want your name in that. He's actually inviting you to have, uh, to give, excuse me, he's inviting you to receive this gift, to receive his name and to have your name put in that book of life. And, and so um, uh, that is the, the one thing that we, all ought to be prepared for, and that's so important, is what's going to happen on that day. And nothing else will matter, because those who are great and small are all going to stand there one day, and the only thing that matters is whether your name is in that book. doesn't matter anything else you've done, if you're trusting in Christ, uh, and uh, then by faith you will be counted righteous, and your name will be in that book, and you can count on it. I think that
1: uh, <clears throat> that uh, landing on mm-hmm. the gospel there is about the perfect way to tie a bow on this because we've we've about run out of time. I think there's more to say on these last couple verses, and I only say that because I don't want Mike Natal to be fully satisfied today. So we'll come back to the end. How room, dare you? You can't
0: time. take that away from me. I am satisfied. <laughs> 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 This is maybe the furthest we've ever gone in one uh, podcast.
1: That's because I'm not nearly as smart as Jason. (laughs) A lot more smart things to say than I do. (laughs) Uh, Well, Ben, will you close us up in a word of prayer?
3: Sure. Let's pray. Thanks for another day that you've given to us. And thanks for this time that we could spend uh, digging into uh, your word and... I just thank you for the, the grace that, that you have during this, this time before you return. And we just pray that um, that you would, again, continue to call sinners to yourself and that you would uh, keep your church uh, faithful to your word, uh, keep us in repentance and faith, but also uh, give to us that joy and that hope of knowing that you are surely coming back for, for our salvation the complete uh, experience and fullness of that salvation, which you won for us. And <clears throat> though we hear in this passage too of, and coming up to it, the terrible judgment uh, upon those who reject your word, we just pray to you that that would give us um, hearts and motivations for uh, sharing your word and and proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the, salvation that you want through your suffering and death on the cross and your resurrection so that as many as possible may be spared the wrath to come and enter into your eternal rest and so we ask that you continue to thwart the schemes of the devil and his demons and allow your word and your gospel to go forth into all the earth in your name we pray amen, amen. Amen. Thank you guys. Awesome.